Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, which this week is going to look specially at the new tournament, the 100. We've had lots of questions, uh, lots of concern about what's happening with the 100, so we're going to put those questions to the group of us here, Simon Mann, and we've got a special guest today, Dean Wilson from the Daily Mirror. Dino, thanks for joining us. If you can hear clicks in the background, it's nothing to do with any of us. It's actually England practising out in the middle because we're at the Keir Oval today, preceding the first of the one-day internationals against Pakistan this summer. So England's big summer of cricket really starts, I suppose, tomorrow, and they're preparing for it today. Just before we we get into the 100, let's talk a little bit about England. So both of you have been watching them, or uh, as I have. Um, One or two concerns still. Uh, I mean, obviously, they won those two games, not without one or two slight flutters, uh, beating Ireland, but the tail end did the job there. And then against Pakistan, I think a pretty professional performance, but with a, a sort of second-rate team, actually. Would you say, Dino? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, actually, the preparation uh, that England have been going through towards uh, this World Cup, um, it's been four years of of kind of smooth progression, really, the, the most organised and clear thinking um, preparation for a World Cup I think any of us can remember Uh, and then here we are now right on the eve of the tournament and there's just one or two little wobbles just to kind of throw throw everyone off a little bit And, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you know it kind of highlights how well prepared they are that they're dealing with these issues, whether it's Alex Hales um, and his situation being dropped from the side, or or even you know the injury concerns that they're kind of dealing with as well. So uh, they seem to be handling them well. They won two good games against Ireland and then the T20 against Pakistan. So you know maybe it's healthy just to have a, a little bit of uh, disorganisation, a little bit of a, a bump in the road because uh, what World Cup. Uh, for England would be without it. MS <laughs> Dhoni is a great fan of actually saying you don't want to peak too early, actually win all your early games, and to actually it, it to these sort of early games to sort of resurrect or surface a few, uh, one or two issues that need sort of smoothing out, not a bad thing. I think one of the issues with the Pakistan series and the Ireland series is, you know... <laughs> They're fully-fledged one-day internationals, but they're sort of warm-up games as well. And, I mean, there's so many of them. England are going to play, in total, nine white ball matches before the World Cup starts, which is quite a lot of cricket, actually. When you're talking about peaking in a tournament, yeah, I think it's right. You try and get some of your problems out of the way early. And uh, I mean, England have got a few problems, haven't they? Um, There's there's Jason Roy, and that's that's been going on for quite a long time now because he was injured in in the Caribbean, and he's such a crucial player to them, especially without Alex Hales. Then there's Chris 
ropes his knee. We don't quite know how that's going to stand up to the next uh, two, three, four, four months. You know, we're talking about the Ashes as well. There's, there's also Mark Wood, who's sort of been kept in, in cotton wool. Moen Ali is missing the first one-day international uh, because of injury. But, I mean, having said that, you know, it's still three weeks to go until the World Cup, which is, which is quite a long time. And, you know, these are really... They are really warm-up games. It's going to be a very strange atmosphere because they've sort of got the intensity of a, of a one-day series against Pakistan, who are the Champions Trophy winners. And yet... It, it's all about what's coming up, you know, late May and onwards. And a playoff, uh, although you know the the actual result of this series is immaterial in a way. There'll be some individuals who really want to shine, at the, in, especially in the bowling department. I mean, there's that interesting kind of contest going on with Jofra Archer mm. sort of looming and Liam Plunkett, David Willey, Tom Curran, all of whom done okay actually, and David Willey nearly. <laughs> crippled himself running into bowl at Cardiff and falling down a hole but he's he's okay so uh, Dean you you watch those two games what, what Archer I'm obviously a big fan I'm a convert to him but how did he do do you think and and how, do, how about the others well I think it was a, a real success for for Archer actually but both games I mean the the first game in Ireland um bit of a sluggish pitch uh, even though the Irish debutant Josh Little made it look uh, a bit quicker, but um, I thought that Joffa would have had a few nerves. He mentioned that himself that certainly for the first over he was a bit nervous. And you can understand that. There's been so much talk about him and and, and his introduction to the England setup, uh, but I thought he, he handled it reasonably well. And we just got the kind of a glimpse of what we hope he will produce for England over the long term. And that was his first international wicket. A 90-mile-an-hour Yorker took out uh, the off stump. Um, And that, to me, just, you know, for one ball only, just said, look what this guy can do. Um, If he can do it once, he's certainly capable of doing it again. And it also showed that, you know, we've seen him play in these domestic tournaments, in the IPL, the Big Bash, and, of course, in the, the T20 Blast for Sussex. And there is a difference between that and international cricket. And we all wanted to see how Joffre would handle international cricket. And I think uh, first against Ireland and then uh, against Pakistan in the T20, he showed that it doesn't matter what shirt he's wearing, he can still produce the goods. And what about the others? How did you feel with with Liam Plunkett and Tom Curran and uh, David Willey? They yeah. did more of the same. Yeah, I think sort of steady. fairly steady, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, steady. I mean, just an overall point about the Ireland game. I mean, I, I was absolutely convinced that England were going to lose that match when they were about sixty for five. You could you, that seemed like that hundred and ninety. You're oh. such a pessimist. No, no, it just seems such a long way away. And I, what I what I would have liked to have seen actually, you talk about you know the Archer that one moment that that York. What I would like to have seen. Uh, was Ben Folks giving out LBW on was it 37 or 38? He was he was pinned. Yeah. It was out. I actually was watching when I was watching it in real time. I raised my <laughs> finger and the umpire obviously gave it not out and they didn't review it. It was out. Yeah. And then then we were seeing the pressure build and could the those in the lower the order Rashids and people like well, that. Well, and, jo- and Joffrey Archer. We, we saw mm. him win a match in the IPL mm. in, in dramatic fashion. Um, it'd be fascinating to see England's lower order. But I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, England could easily have lost that game. I mean, you're, you're absolutely absolutely right there. And and to t- 
kind of take the curtain, you know, away in the press box as well. When you're up against, the, you know, deadlines, and especially in white ball cricket, and, and you, you're not quite sure which way the game's going to go, you do end up writing two pieces, you know, a win and a, and a loss. And I can tell you that for great chunks of that second <laughs> innings, the England loss piece yeah. was far lengthier than uh, than the England win piece. And you're right, you know, uh, Ben Ben Folks produced a, a really impressive performance. I mean, he's a yeah. sensational cricketer, really. You know, who knows how much international cricket he will end up playing over his career, but goodness, he, uh, he got England out of a hole uh, in Ireland. I, I loved uh, Archer, actually. I thought, uh, just generally, there was, a, funnily enough, I, I was watching on telly, and there was a point at which um, Rob Key, actually, on Sky, said... Now, what's Archer got? Because he'd been slogged for a, a four or two, or you know, sliced for a four in his sort of subsequent, his later over in the Ireland game. And he's oh, like, I'd like to see what he's got back, what he's got here. What's he? What can he come up with? Next ball, that was at Yorker, which took out the off stump and you know finished the game really. So or finished the innings. So it, 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 he's got that ability to deliver those match-winning. Wicket-taking deliveries, which is which is what England need. Mind you, we all got very excited by Ollie Stone's first international wicket in, in Sri Lanka, where yeah. he, he banks out one of the Sri Lankan openers. But I mean, Archer, he's he's clearly a class cricketer, and you know, the debate about whether you know whether he was going to play in the World Cup, he was clearly going to play for England at some point. He's clearly good enough. Um, I, I love watching him play, and I want to you know I want to see him play in England's World Cup squad. I want to be I want him to be in England's World Cup squad. So that's a, a little prelude to, to England against Pakistan. Jason Roy, I, I understand, is not playing in the first game, so we hope he, he recovers quickly. This, of course, is his home ground, and it's slightly ironic in a way that we're talking about the 100 today at Surrey, because Surrey are one of the, the main protagonists, sort of anti-counties, really, uh, to, to the whole project, and have had issues with the ECB over... Uh, their stance compared to Surrey's view and the fact that they've made such a success out of T20. So what we uh, decided to do today is I, I've posted the, the opportunity to ask questions. There's been a, a great response from uh, the listeners, both on email and on Twitter as well. So we're just going to kind of cover off a few of, of the questions. The, the burgeoning question, most of all, is why are we having this 100? Why is the 100 even being thought of? Before we do that, okay. it's, it's worth saying, you've been speaking to the ECB, haven't you, about some of the, some of the details, and we know now that there are going to be no name announcements of, of the various teams until September, so yes. our, basically after the international season, presumably because the World Cup is right in focus, then the Ashes are right in focus, so this could be lost, so mm. in yeah. September... Yeah, so the, I spoke to an ECB representative yesterday who's now working on... The, the whole concept of the 100 and, and the, the publicity side of it. And actually, the team names and logos, etc., were going to be announced last year, but that's been put back and put back because of the research that they've done, because of the consultations that they've been conducting in the various cities where these games are going to be hosted. And I think they've come up with a, with a good concept, which is that they're talking to individuals from all those cities, finding out what that city means to them, what kind of ethos that city has... What are the sort of names or cultures that, that that city produces? What kind of atmosphere is it in that city? What does it mean to them? And using those stories to try and uh, inf inform what the team names and logos will be. And that announcement isn't going to be until September. I think quite right, Simon, because you know it's a huge summer of cricket, World Cup followed by the Ashes. They don't want to 
you know, jeopardise the marketing and promotion and appeal of that. So they're leaving it until September, by which time they will have sorted out these team names and logos and also announced the head coaches. I mean, it's an interesting idea and, and, and I guess a, a good idea in some regard to want to connect with the cities and the people in those cities, the people that the ECB really are trying to attract to these games. But, you know, the great thing about cities in the UK is that they are, you know, real melting pots and, and, and they mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, and they've managed to kind of blend and, and coexist together as, as, as well as any uh, around the world. And, you know, certainly I'm sure, you know, you come up with a name that might mean something to a group of people in, in London or Birmingham or wherever... It, it might not mean quite the same to, to quite an, an, another large group of people in, in that same city. So I, I do think they've got to be quite careful with these names. You know, it, it, starting a brand new organisation, a new brand, a new name, um, trying to attach it to, to, you know, trying to please all the people all the time is a very difficult thing. And I do yeah, wonder well, about whether... It's an impossible whether, thing. It is an impossible thing. I do wonder <laughs> about whether, you know by trying to be so kind of wholesome about it and and really engage with an area whether actually the team names might be better off being totally kind of esoteric and just um you know out there that anyone can buy into it can mean anything to anyone it it, it would be an interesting but we we think we think that the the team names are going to be Leeds something or other or Manchester something or other yes. now that, I think that we, we, we feel that's going to yes. happen and, and we do and and I know that, that a lot of people will say well if it's called Leeds then it will alienate people from Halifax or York or Hull or whatever but I think they've done some research on talking to people in Yorkshire and actually though you know Joe Root might not, might not like it being called Leeds there are most people in Yorkshire apparently because he's from Sheffield because he's from Sheffield sorry okay. uh, most people in Yorkshire that they've talked to anyway are not particularly anti the the idea of a, a Leeds name because they think it's the capital city of the county it represents a lot of good things um, you know it's a cool city people want to go and work there and visit it and, and you know go shopping there or whatever so it, I think it there will be some people alienated by names, but you're always going to get that. And I think if you, you're quite right about cities meaning different things to different people, maybe London should just be called the London Polyglots, <laughs> since it's you know so multicultural. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it, London is going to be a very difficult one actually to to yeah. get the name right. It, it will be, but but I think. Um, you're quite right about the, the people that go and visit these cities, Leeds, Manchester, uh, and so on. You know, th- there are a lot of people in these cities, and there are, there are a lot of people living there, a lot of people working there, and a lot of people visiting them. And actually, it's all those people that the ECB are trying to encourage to come along, you know, of an evening to go and watch, you know, the hundred. And so, if there's you know one or two, if there's a, a group of people who find it a little difficult to get into those cities to make it worthwhile, and they might not come along, then so be it. But actually, it's the people who are drawn to those to those urban areas that they want to encourage to, to come along to these games. Of course, the other point is, we're talking about people going to the games, it's also going to be on television as well. All matches are going to be on television, and some of them, a few, are going to be on uh, free-to-air television. So there's, there's that, that aspect to it as well. So let's go back to... You know, what, Let's just establish them, why they are doing it. What, what, is, their, what is their raison d'etre? Well, uh, I should just thank uh, the number of people who've, who've written in and uh, why the 100 was uh, a question put by many people, including James Gilray, Venkata Sumanth, 
Giles Falconer, Stephen Valance, David Cook, Liam Moore, Tom Riddler and many others who all said why. Now, I've thought about this long and hard. I've also done a lot of research on the IPL and the success of that, why it's worked and the way they've really invested in that and made it to such a, a hugely vibrant tournament. Um, but going back to the question, why the 100? Well, I, you know, two things for me. One is that the English game is in debt, is in serious debt. There's £200 million of debt, which is shared amongst prominently a few counties who've had to redevelop their grounds, but that's a huge amount of debt for, for some of the counties to deal with. But then most of the others struggle to make a profit. So you've got you know, your Leicesters, your Darbers, your Northants, all of whom barely make a profit year after year. Uh, the handout from the ECB is, what, £1.3 or something. It's now going to double because of the 100. So the essential point, how do you grow the game? The, go- the game is in slow decline. We know that from participation uh, points of view. It's watched less on telly, partly because it's on Sky, obviously. People haven't got the time to watch cricket as much. I know that the blast is slightly higher in participation numbers, but membership is down at a lot of counties. Generally, you cannot deny cricket is struggling. And the, the, the deal that they did for the five years of broadcast rights of £1.1 billion pounds which works out at 225 million a year is more than double what they've ever had before it was around about 75 80 million a year from sky and, and others before now it's 225 million a year so that's more money for each of the counties at least double what they've got before from the ecb how did they achieve that principally because they came up with a new tournament they would not have been able to raise that amount of money and also got the exposure from the bbc the buy-in from the bbc if they hadn't created a new tournament so we needed a new tournament that's the first thing i can come on to why specifically the hundred as a subsequent story but they needed a new tournament to to get that money in to grow the game yeah, and Tom Harrison, I did an interview with him uh, for the BBC early in the year when I was in the Caribbean, and he said, uh, so, you know, what would rank as a success for the 100? You know, what, what would make it a success? He said, it's already been a success. And a lot, lot of people sort of you know, thought, well, that's a really strange thing to say. It hasn't even started yet. But, of course, what he meant was because they have brought in all that revenue. That's why it's, it's been a success already. But, of course, you've got to then make it a success on the field because you won't be bringing in that revenue in the future if, if people are not interested in it. I mean, it's an interesting view. Of course, a lot of what you say makes a lot of sense, Simon. But you talk about the, the revenue and the money to grow the game. Well, the game, you know, 20 years ago was struggling, and that's why... Uh, you know, it went on to Sky in the first place because the game needed the money to grow. And so the game got the money, and you're saying that actually the game hasn't grown and, and the game is in decline. So more money doesn't automatically um, well, e- I, I, equate I, to... That's true, but that's why I said also the exposure from the BBC. So the deal, which not only gets more money into the game, but also greater exposure through all the BBC's platforms and channels. So some of it is on free-to-air, and the key to the BBC is they will use their other programming, their other channels, to help cricket just become, reach a wider audience... So so the double whammy of the money and the exposure is what they've been seeking all along and what they should have had in 2006. Which is what they... Well, obviously they needed the money more than they needed the exposure in 2006, having had that incredible... What they thought they did. That's well, what they thought. Well, I think that's probably true. I think the, the problem is that they didn't actually go back to market or they didn't look at getting cricket on free-to-air 
for such a long period of time actually it's been uh, you know 14 years or whatever it is now since since that point and that's just you know too long and and so that's why I guess that they're having to make these changes um but my view still stands that you know money in itself you know doesn't bring happiness and um you know the the the, the reintroduction of of, B, of the bbc as a uh, free to air um channel you know viewers viewers um is a great thing and, and you know that will be a real boon uh, to this competition, but again, it's the you know a fourth competition in a you know already crowded uh, market, cricket market in in this country. Both domestic, you know, take domestic and international cricket together. There is a lot of cricket that you know. I don't think that people kind of lack for cricket in this country. And now they're going to have a a fourth uh, version of it uh, to try and get their teeth into. Whether that ends up growing the, the whole pie or whether it actually just kind of takes bites out of the other slices of the that's pie. That's your main concern, that, that, is that, that is That is a concern for me, absolutely. I'm, you know, I, I like the blast. I think, you know, you talked about how the blast itself is uh, growing um, in, in terms of viewership and, and numbers through the gates in, in some places, but overall it's growing. Um, I'm not sure you need a, a, a T20 tournament and a 100-ball tournament, personally, you know, I would have liked to have seen one short-form tournament that could really dominate that space. Um, and then, you know, the 50-over the tournament, which is uh, now going to be kind of a de- development uh, tournament going on at the same time, is, I sense is going to get kind of lost, actually. And I think, personally, the 50-over cricket has some real value. They've done a lot of research on it, and I know people go, research, well, why can't we have the, the public uh, accounts of this research? I think we're going to get that, actually, very shortly. But the, the, the pricey to the research they've done, and they've done it with the ICC, with the ECBs, various agencies. They've even done, they've looked at UN data as well. Uh, they've, they've tried to be quite, I think, quite exhaustive, and I believe them. And I'm, by the way, I'm not a lackey for the ECB. I'm not a spokesperson for them at all. We're trying to, you know, hold them to account. But what they say is that from the research, there are three reasons why people don't come and watch the blast in as many numbers as they'd like, although I know it's, it's improved slightly. Firstly, the complexity of the game. People do not grow up with cricket now, so they don't understand it. Secondly, the time. Every game now is taking three hours and even more. And then thirdly, most importantly, a lot of people feeling that the blast is not a game for them because it's still largely middle class and largely white and particularly a sort of beer fest. And we know that from going to, obviously, from here at the Keir Oval, at other grounds as well, it has become a bit of a piss-up, actually. And I know, you know, counters make a lot of money out of it and it's very successful, but it does alienate quite a lot of people. So the idea behind the 100 is to create something which is new and different and appeals to everybody. Everybody's asking. One of the questions everybody's asked, like, for instance, Frank Smith here, who is the 100 aimed at, thinking that it's this new audience. It's not. It's aimed at everybody, everybody who wants to watch cricket, whether it's a new audience or an old audience. They just want to put on a fantastic show with the best players in the world. Has that changed? Yeah, I think think the communication message initially was a bit misguided. Oh, we want to get a new audience for cricket. They want everybody to watch cricket. They want as many people as possible to come to the game to see what a great game of cricket actually is. I mean, it's a really interesting... Uh, you know th- those three points that you, you mentioned there on on paper absolutely makes sense. Um, you know, n- not wanting it to be a booze fest. Now, you know, if Leeds are playing Manchester um, in anything, 
you know, how are you going to avoid that being a booze fest unless you don't sell alcohol full mm. stop? I've actually asked the ECB, will you have alcohol-free games? You know, is that, is that part of the idea? No, it's not part of the idea. I went to the IPL and watched um, Rajasthan Royals play uh, against the We were there RCB. together, we? we? were together. Well, you were, I think, in a slightly, I was in a in a slightly better part of the yeah. ground than me. But, you were with the whole uh, floor. <laughs> um, there was no beer there, but, was uh, there? But there was no beer there, no. absolutely. And, and I thought, well, why not? Why, why, why couldn't you just have a, an alcohol-free uh, actually, environment? I, and, I sneaked and some said, in in one of my water bottles, actually. <laughs> Did you hear that, BTCI? <laughs> Simon Hughes. In fact, it, it, was, it was gin, actually. <laughs> Because <laughs> it looks like water. Um, so, you know, uh, and, and if you want to change the atmosphere at grounds, at games, you know, that is done through, yeah, you know, the concessions and, and you know, whether you sell alcohol or, or what the type of um, in-game, in-ground um, entertainment and, and, and that sort of thing, how that's done. And those are things that can be done to to the T20 that you don't need a new tournament to implement those kinds of things and when you're talking about the length of the games it takes too long well you can actually um, make changes to an existing game to reduce it in time you know they're talking about playing um, you know five ball overs of which you can bowl two overs at the same from the same end that is going to hurry things along you could bowl you know, do that you could do T20. that in T Twenty. You could bowl, you know, ten overs from one end, or you know, five over blocks from one end, and that will speed up the game considerably. So there are things, you know, that in response to these kind of um, reasons why they feel like they have to build a new competition. I think you could be answered by T Twenty cricket. My belief, you know, fundamentally, is that this is about money. That this that the ECB. Uh, looked at the IPL and they've looked at the Big Bash and they've looked at the commercial value of those properties and they've said, we need that, that kind of cash. Mm. Uh, and also, as well, I mean, the other point of that, hand in hand with that, is that it's my understanding that the, the broadcasters, the free to air broadcasters, wanted a new competition as well. They didn't necessarily want the 100, but they wanted a new competition. They didn't want Sussex playing against Durham, they wanted uh, you know, new teams. To, you know, on which to, to sell the game to their, to their viewers. Right, let's look at uh, some more of your questions. And uh, there's one here from a 16-year-old, actually, interestingly, Ed Richards. So thanks, Ed, for your uh, points here. Uh, and he says they've taken off 20 balls to make it shorter, the tournament, but it's still not on free-to-air. Well, it is, of course. It is partly on free-to-air. What part of the 100 will appeal to a younger audience that a T20 wouldn't? Now, that's a good question. And he says, as a 16-year-old who loves T20s, ODIs and tests, I will definitely watch the 100. So it obviously appeals to him. But I can't see how someone who doesn't watch T20s will watch the 100. Well, one interesting point is when the T20 was uh, originated in 2003, the iPad hadn't been invented. Six years later, before the iPad was invented in 2009. And in a way, that was quite a... A, a key innovation because the iPad and obviously the smartphone sort of on the back of the iPad really has enabled teenagers, you know, even us actually, to watch videos and films and anything else on on your tablets or on your smartphones. And that just basically has affected 
uh, a lower concentration span. So the concept of T20, which is sort of three, three hours entertainment, has become too long for the teenage market, who now are obsessed by, I don't know if either of you have played this game, but I've seen it, Fortnite, which is, you know, the game that sort of is just uh, taking over the world in the sort of teenage world anyway. And you can play a Fortnite game in half an hour, 45 minutes. So, you know, their concentration span... I mean, I'm sad to say my teenager's concentration span is about that of a gnat. Uh, we don't want to just pander to teenagers. Yeah, so is your father's concentration span. <laughs> you are. What did you say? Sorry, I lost concentration there. But, so, you know, that was why they've gone for a shorter format, was just that people's time, people's concentration is less than it was. And, you know, the perfect time for a bit of evening entertainment, you look at movies, you look at football, even going out for dinner, I suppose, it's, it's two hours, isn't it? It's an hour and a half, two hours, and three hours is just getting a bit too long. So that's the kind of reason why it's been brought shorter. And just to go to Ed's other point here, how does the ECB expect this increase in viewing figures and popularity to be so big that the 100 is worth the massive investment when County Championship Royal London need the money too? The money spent on the 100 could be spent elsewhere. Well, what the ECB say is that even more money is now going to be spent on promoting the county championship and the Royal London and obviously the Vitality Blast. Because more money's coming into the game. Because more money's coming into the game. Mm. So, uh, the, the, you know, that, those, hopefully those tournaments are going to benefit as much as the 100. Mm. They were desperate to do something the ECB, didn't they? They saw the success of the IPL, they saw the success of, of Big Bash, and they wanted... I mean, this was the... I mean, T20 was, well, it wasn't the concept they invented, but they reinvented it, because it was being played in, in clubs all around the country, wasn't it, T20? They, they, they wanted some of it, but one of the problems they've had, I think, is it's just taken so long to get this tournament going because of the broadcasting contracts. You know, they've had to wait till the end of the broadcasting cycle. They wanted to do it three, four years ago. And Colin Gray, you know, he's been banging on about it for, for several years now. Yeah. He has not been able to do it until now, and it's this massive vacuum in which they have not been able to fill with their own message. I think you know, that's, that's been part of the problem. I think that's right. And, of course, Sky and, and Channel 5 and the others signed a two-year extension in 2017 to come up to this year. And that was the, that was the opportunity, probably, to, to launch a new tournament. But, as you say, it was, it was delayed, so we've had to wait until the year 2020. Mark Vesey says, why did they never try spending this amount of money marketing their existing competitions? Well, we've sort of answered that. And why won't they publish their research? Well, they are, apparently. They're going to be publish, publishing it shortly, so we can all examine it. I, I mean, we have to believe them, that they've, uh, they've, they've done a good job. Now, a lot of the uh, sort of dissenters for this tournament particularly seem to come from Somerset. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had one guy, Simon Hancock, who's written 23 questions. I've had another, actually, Frank Smith, who actually asked me 100 questions appropriately. <laughs> but uh, Simon Hancock... You know, says Somerset sell out all their home tickets for the T20 Blast home matches in the school summer holidays and get decent crowds, like 5,000 for home Royal London games. Their digital output is fantastic. Uh, I, I know we've got Annie Chave as well, who's uh, voiced a number of complaints from, from Somerset, as a Somerset fan who spends every moment she can throughout the summer months at the county ground. Could you please tell me how six weeks of no cricket in the height of summer at the ground I love could possibly be a good thing? Well, I wonder whether there'll be some uh, shuttle buses on the way up to Cardiff <laughs> for those uh, Somerset yeah. fans to. Uh, but will they get on? The they hunt? might be very empty. Those shuttle buses. <laughs> um, 
I mean, there will be cricket, though. I mean, that, 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 that's the thing. That's one thing I don't think you can re- realistically complain about, a lack of cricket in the summer, because so we Annie, know... We, for Annie, there'll be 50, 50 over matches exa- at Taunton. Exactly. But and without the best players playing. Well, well, some of the best players will play. I mean, because, you know, someone like Alistair Cook might be playing in 50 over cricket. He wouldn't get picked in the, in the, in the, the 100, but he, he might not play T20, but he'll play 50 over cricket. Exactly. It's not just going to be a tournament for university graduates and few school kids, you know, and a few second 11 players. There's a lot of cricketers. I mean, this is one of the things that Tom Harrison said all along he worried about was there were going to be 80 cricketers involved, 80 professional English cricketers involved in the 100, you know, as in sort of 10 or 11 per team English-based, as well as all the overseas players, which leaves about 250 to 300 professional cricketers not employed. So he was very keen to find something for them all to do. And there's loads of decent cricketers out there who will be playing in this 50-over competition. It's not just going to be a, a, a tournament for the, the has-beens and never wases. Here's another question from Annie. Why have the ECB been so poor with communication? Is it because they're still unsure of so much? Well, I've talked about that vacuum that's been going on for so long because it, it, it's taken a huge long time to get the tournament going... Well, I think, Simon, maybe you could agree with me that as a journalist covering uh, English cricket for more than a decade, uh, the ECB have always been poor at communication. Um, So uh, no surprise there. But I think the difficulty, I do have some sympathy, uh, although not huge amounts, I do have some sympathy with them having to uh, really kind of get through the the nitty-gritty, the nuts and bolts of a new tournament, of things that really they would have liked to have done before then announcing it to, to the wider public. Um, they've kind of had to go through that in, in public. The one thing that they could have done, which I think um, probably a black market, they could have been you know, accepting of their situation, that they are going through this phase and therefore it's going to be imperfect. There's going to be some slings and arrows. Of course there are. But don't worry about it. Actually kind of embrace that and still be more open, still be more transparent, still communicate more effectively uh, with the media and the wider public so that actually people can, even if they don't agree with them, can actually kind of see where they're coming from, see why they're taking time over certain things and rather than this very kind of cloak and dagger style of of non-communication, the fact that the chief executive of the organisation did not speak to the media um, certainly to the written press for over a year on the record I think was pretty damning uh, especially when you consider just how important this period is for for English cricket. I I understand that that's changing, I mean we did speak to him finally in the Caribbean on on the most recent tour and actually you're talking to Tom, I'm Harrison. Talking to Tom Harrison here and actually talking to Tom um, and certainly talking to him off the record as well you know he's a, a bright and engaging decent communicator actually and I sort of you know have a go at him and say you know what are you doing you can get your point across so effectively you should do it more often and I think perhaps uh, that will happen Um, but yeah the ECB as a general rule um, has tended towards a a head in the sand approach to communication uh, rather than come and let me tell you something. Well or a bit random as well And, and actually they do accept now that they've been sort of going through a an R&D, a research and development process, almost in public for the last six months, because, unfortunately, the tournament, the 100, was not fully formed when first details emerged, when they had the trial games and so on. It's still emerging now, isn't it? There's still areas of the game that people aren't quite sure about. The other point, Simon, is that, actually, the, the, the broadcast contracts were signed before 
the yeah. announcement it was going to be right. 100. I mean, yeah. the 100 came after mm. the broadcast. Well, it was going to be a city-based tournament, wasn't it? It was going to be probably eight teams, but the actual format, format of the game yeah. Yeah. was not announced. In fact, I remember talking to Guy Lavender, the uh, chief executive of the MCC, who was very much involved in all this. And we, we did an interview on this show, actually, about a year ago, and we were talking about you know the new tournament, how excited. But he had no idea until it was announced about a week later that it was going to be the 100. So it was a bit cloak and dagger, and that, that was a mistake. But I think they've, they've realised that now, and they really are trying to, A, listen to people, and but, but you know also proceed with their own vision. And I think it's important to show leadership, and they are showing a bit more leadership now. So... That, that will hopefully, ultimately, give people more confidence. Yeah, Mike Andrews's question, uh, you know, why put county cricket formats at risk by pushing them aside for an untried format for an unknown market? I think that's what, that question actually sort of sums up the scepticism out there, doesn't it? Very much so. I mean, the, the unknown market, I mean, we've talked a lot about the research that, that they've done, and, and to be fair, I have spoken to various people involved with the planning of, of the 100 over... The last year or two, and you know the idea about the, about an unknown market—it's actually that there is a market. There, there, there is a, a huge number of people that are in some way connected to the game, that um, have some kind of an interest, um, even if it's just going to a game once or you know following you know certain accounts on Twitter or social media or whatever it might be. But what the ECB, you know, desperate to do is to, to make those kind of slight bits of interest and turn them into proper engagement. Proper engagement, exactly. Mm. And, 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 you know, we, we touched on participation as well, you know, and they've got various um, plans and, and, uh, and projects in place to, to try and encourage uh, the number of people playing the game to increase different... even more formats of the game last man stands and tape ball cricket and things like that uh, as well and I think you know when you look at the big bash so you know the the IPL and the big bash I'd say the two kind of most successful um, T20 tournaments around the world and when they look at the IPL. The IPL is or, is almost kind of preaching to the choir a little bit. You know, the um, the love of cricket in India is so great anyway that it it's become this behemoth and you know huge commercial value and, and so on. But you look at the Big Bash, where okay, cricket is the national sport of Australia. It's the one sport that has been played consistently in all territories, as opposed to AFL or or soccer or uh, anything like that. But these other games have grown, AFL in particular, and have kind of encroached, if you like, on on kind of cricket's um, area. And what the Big Bash has done for Cricket Australia, perhaps more successfully than any other tournament, is increase the participation numbers of young kids going and signing up to join clubs. It's almost like a steroid boost to to Mm. all the club, the local clubs, the grassroots of Mm. uh, Australian cricket. You know, they've been overwhelmed by the number of kids inspired by and encouraged by the Big Bash to go and take up cricket on a more regular and formal basis. And actually, to my mind, if that is the kind of success, if that is the kind of impact that the 100 could have and does have, then it will all be worth it. Yeah, and I agree. And, and if you look at the, what they base their some of their research on or some of their ambition on are those figures from 2005, which was that 8 to 9 million people watched 
the climaxes of some of those 2005 Ashes Test matches on Channel 4. So clearly there is this perception of a national interest in cricket that's still there. That was okay 14 years ago, but you know people don't just sort of suddenly lose interest completely. And actually, the, the audiences on, say, Channel 5, highlights programmes, even Sky for the live programmes occasionally, gets over a million. So, you know, there is this latent interest in cricket when the story is a good story when there's a narrative when there's something you can follow when there's as you said Dino appointment to view when you know it's on that's one of the key things about the IPL was making the game on at the same time every night so that if you couldn't get to a game you tuned into it and you sort of followed the narrative as a result and that will tap in if the story is good enough if the quality is good enough the key is getting the best players and obviously marketing it well but once you've got that then you've got the chance to tap into a latent interest in the game. And, I mean, just look at the spread of the women's game, for instance, as a result of the Women's World Cup final and victory in Lords a couple of years ago. Suddenly there's so many more girls playing the game. Uh, so there is... But, they, you know, they probably won't go to many cricket matches, but this, the 100 tournament could attract them. So I think there is this massive latent interest in the game that they want to tap into. Yeah, it's about creating stories. And I find myself, for example, uh, when the IPL is on, I've been working on the IPL on, on our radio coverage, and I also watch it at home when I'm, I'm not um, uh, commentating on it. But, I'm, I, for example, I find if the Calcutta Knight Riders are playing, I'm always checking my phone to see when Andre Russell is going to be batting. And if, you know, if I find him coming out to the middle, I'll go downstairs and, and switch the television on. It's about, I suppose, creating that sort of interest, that sort of... Um, a, 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 if you want to call it a, an appointment to view, creating that sort of buzz around a, a competition where you, you have these star players. I think you're right about the star players. They, they, you've got to have them, the, the players you really want to see, that really get you going. Mm, box office players. And actually, you know, the IPL audience is now 40% women. And actually, at games, it's nearly 50%. And if you go back 10, 12 years, I mean, we all went to one-day internationals in India at various grounds. How, how many women would you see at a one-day international in India? Probably 12? or something I mean you know it was 95% male so without wanting to sound as if the 100 is just appealing to women that is clearly a core market what do we think will be a success for the 100 how how would you measure success we've already talked about Tom Harrison saying that it's been a success already because they've sold the television rights for you know X hundreds of thousands of, of pounds what would be a success in terms of that playing and, and watching, you know, in, in three or four years' time. And, and one other question, and I, I asked it of um, uh, Colin Graves in, uh, in, in Australia uh, a year or so ago, you know, what percentage um, would you put on it, you know, be a success? And he said, you know, you know in, in the 80s, definitely 80%, you know, 80-odd percent. How much of a gamble is it? Is it, is it, is it, are we actually, in fact, is it just a no-brain, it's got to be done? Or is this a huge gamble for the game? Or is it, a, you know, a smallish gamble worth taking for the game? Well, I, um, for me, it, it's sort of how many times have English cricketers been nominated for the BBC Sports Personality of the Year? Very rarely. And it's because cricket just doesn't have the profile. So, for me, it's getting cricket's profile much better, getting column inches in the papers, getting cricketers on the one show, getting them on the various, I don't know, various sort of peripheral programmes which 
taps into the the general public and the general public are more aware of the high level of skill of these players I think it's it obviously will be determined the success of it will be determined by the next broadcast rights in two or three years time hopefully there'll be an even bigger clamour to to sign up the broadcast rights to get another broadcaster involved you know the, the football broadcast rights have slightly declined over the last three, four years, just slightly, whereas cricket has started to, to climb and you want that, to, that, that sort of ascendancy to, to continue. I'll just give you one little parallel story from the world of business, which I hope will be replicated with this, and that is the story uh, from the cider world. Now, Scrumpy Jack, a, a traditional kind of, you know, Western countryside, I bet you, bet you Simon, sort of drank it when you were about 12, didn't you? Scrumpy Jack? 11, I think. Yeah, OK, very good. Um, well, that, w- w- they, they were doing OK in the market, and then the Irish company Magnus came on track to try and sort of, you know, muscle in on, on their territory, and Scrumpy Jack were very worried about it for a long time. But actually, Magnus have created lots of different ciders and, you know, sort of flavoured ciders and things, and made cider drinking cool. So everybody's benefited, because Scrumpy Jack's sales have gone through the roof. So hopefully the introduction of a new concept will benefit everybody. I think if, if, if the 100 um, is still being played in six years, seven years, um, if other broadcasters come onto the, to the scene to, to try and take it away from Sky, to try and, or the BBC try and take it all for themselves... Um, That's a measure of success. Yes, because I think that that will only happen if people are interested in it, if people are going to the games, if the grounds are getting busier and and fuller, and uh, you know, if people actually have kind of latched onto this tournament as something um, important, uh, then those uh, will sort of be the knock-on knock-on effects. And so, to me, that you know, it's not it's not really a, a even a one or two, you, you, you can't assess this too quickly. Actually, it's got to be given the chance to to grow, to evolve, and to grow. And and as, and those kind of things that, that I'm talking about, the, the, the market influence, I guess, um, will come about um, if it, if people are interested, if, if the wider public, you know, and if if sponsors, uh, you know, we don't know who the sponsors are at the moment, but certainly there is a real push to move away for example from kind of financial services you know the Investex and the NatWests and so on and, and try and get some some cool and or some more um, sponsors for, for everyone I guess and, and if they're keen to keep getting involved and you know for that to be kind of the hot property then clearly it will have been doing something right so um yeah, you know, more boys, more girls uh, playing, watching, more families, just, you know, more interest in the game as a result of this tournament for me. That's. Uh, and more appreciation of the game, maybe, as well, and what it can do for you. Mm. Is there any danger this will fall completely flat on its no. face? I, I don't no? think so. You I, don't? I, no, I don't, because I think they've put so much resource into it. And it's, it's got to succeed, and the broadcasters are, will dictate that. And they've, they've put a lot of money into it. Uh, so they have to make it work. Otherwise, their money's completely wasted. Everyone thought the IPL would be a, a huge success. Um, but it took a little bit of time, mm. really, yeah. for it to, to blossom. 
And now, you know, it's just the, you know, the, the key property in, you know, sport and entertainment in India is just, you know, taking on a life of its own. I think one real test of the success will be whether other countries take on the format and want to introduce it. I and mean, already, you know, IPL, Big Bash, they're looking at the length of time that matches take, going on till after midnight, four hours, four and a half hours, and kids not going to bed. Uh, so if other countries see the 100 as a way of, of creating a shorter format, which is more attractive, then that's a, a mark of success and, and hiring out that, that, that concept from the English point of view. And the other thing is private investment. I know that the, the, the overall plan is to, if it's a success, is to get some private investment involved. So people might buy teams, you know, big uh, financial companies or individuals, as we've seen in football, as, of course, we've seen in the IPL. Uh, and those investors can create their own uh, noise and, and marketing and general promotion around their team that just brings in more revenue it gradually grows the game as we've seen has happened in the IPL so those would be two marks of success and actually possibly the 100 could become an Olympic version of cricket as well I think that's a a long-term target so let's hope that it delivers all that the ECB hope it will and it satisfies all of the the people at home and, and actually does become the the core of uh, the English summer. Thank you very much for all your questions. I'm sorry we haven't been able to answer all of them, but we'll keep on the case and try and keep you informed with developments as they occur. And for Annie Chave, that passionate Somerset fan, I will personally come down in my car and drive you to a hundred match if you are a little bit uh, reluctant to go there yourself and you can bring your family as well. I promise you I will do that next summer. In the meantime, Dean, thanks very much for your time today. Simon, as always, for giving the voice of reason and balance. Thank you to you guys for listening, and we'll review England's performances in this one-day series against Pakistan this time next week. Podcast Network.